0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I love our podcast ministry too because it kept Kayla connected to us and, and, and there's, there's many who listen to us by podcast and I want to welcome all those who are listening at this moment. We are blessed that you're, you're with us uh, in this moment hearing the message and we hope that you are very encouraged and blessed and built up in the things of God. Yeah. Amen. So let's take our Bibles Uh, And go to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. We finished chapter 7 last week um, speaking of Jesus and his priesthood. That his priesthood is not according to uh, the Levitical priesthood. That Levitical priesthood was passing away. God was uh, dawning a new day. As a matter of fact, he was actually restoring uh, the Melchizedek priesthood. When David announced in Psalm chapter 110 and verse 4, speaking of Jesus, prophesying about Jesus who is to come, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And we know who Melchizedek was. He was the priest who blessed Abram. All right, before he was Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, it's the first time we see this mysterious figure, and, and, and uh, we see that he has no, we have no record of his genealogy, don't know where he began, and we don't even know the end of his days, and so he is like a type of Christ in that way, and uh, the Levitical priesthood, they were, they were priests according to the law, uh, but Jesus is a priest Uh, His priesthood is according to the power of an endless life, the scripture says. All right? And knowing that we have this high priest. This high priest is like no other high priest. Because he, once for all, uh, with his own blood, uh, cleansed us from our sin. And now this priest sat down at the right hand of God. All right, all the other priests the scripture taught us was standing daily, right? Their work was never done. The sacrificial system was never done. But Jesus came once for all. And once he did it, he ascended up to heaven and he sat down, signifying that it is finished. And now we are here on this earth to appropriate that finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth. Amen. We're not waiting on God to heal us. We are... Knowing that we are confessing that we are healed, that he has healed us. We're not looking, waiting to God to bless us. We already are blessed. We're not trying to get the windows of heaven open. They are wide open. 2,000 years ago, they were wide open to us. Amen. And so we live then our lives from a position of blessing. A position of blessing. We actually live our lives from a seated heavenly position. It says, where he's seated, so are we. Seated in heavenly places with Christ. So, um, this chapter uh, of chapter eight is a transition chapter, and and we're going to um, uh, with the beginning of chapter eight, we come to the close of the first major section of uh, the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, in which the key uh, thought in there is the superiority of Christ. Remember, we talked about that, and and really, this is an argument. This whole it's a it's a marvelously uh, argued (laughs) argument for Christ and that is for them to to see no longer the value of the old sacrificial system but to get their eyes on Jesus when it opens up saying God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past uh, through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the final word to us, the final answer from God, all right? So, we saw that he's greater than the prophets, and then it went on to the angels, talking about the angels, and that comparison, saying, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are a son, you are to, today, I've begotten you. And so we, we, we see Jesus' superiority even over the angels. And then uh, Jesus' superiority over Moses, who was the greatest figure in the Old Testament, hands down. But yet Jesus was greater than him. And Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. That Jesus' priesthood far exceeds that Levitical priesthood, which uh, came and went. But Jesus' priesthood is Forever. Alright, so now uh, we're coming into this chapter 8 and the first six verses of this, of this chapter uh, is where the, f- the main point of the first seven chapters is ba- briefly summarized and then it transitions over into the next section. Alright, so the first section is the superiority of Christ. And so let's read verse 1 of uh, chapter 8 that says, Now this is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, say true tabernacle, and we'll talk about that, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests. Who offer the gifts according to the law. And who what priests are those? Those are the Levites. Alright? So remember, Jesus came from what tribe? The tribe of Judah. And which we read earlier that Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood when it came to Judah. It was only the Levitical, the, the Levites, that could that could be priests. So Jesus wouldn't qualify on the earth as a priest, alright? Because he came from a different tribe. Verse 5, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So the Levitical priesthood served the copy and the shadow. And as we've talked about before, that Jesus in the Old Testament, he is concealed throughout the Old Testament. And we find him in types and shadows and symbols. Types and shadows and symbols. But now in the New Testament, it is Christ revealed. Before it was Christ concealed. Praise God, we're living in Christ revealed. Amen. I like that a whole lot better. Amen. So they were serving the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, or that true tabernacle that exists in heaven that no man made, the Lord himself erected that temple. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. All right, so God gave Moses very specific instructions about how the sanctuary was to be constructed, what materials to use, what to gather from the people of Israel. As a matter of fact, over in Exodus 24, he says, "Get have the children of Israel give a free will offering, and this is what I want from them. I want gold, silver, bronze. I need scarlet, red, uh, purple. I need these colors, and so, and all these uh, specific things, and so the people brought their free will offerings, and then he said, "I want you to build all this according to the pattern that I show you." Okay, verse six of Hebrews eight. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, speaking of Jesus, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. Some may say, "Better covenant," which was established on better promises. Let's say, "Better promises." All right, a better covenant which is established on better promises. Now the author moves us to focus on, uh, further into this truth, the fact that Christ is superior to all. Now we're going to see that the superiority superiority of the new covenant. All right? We've seen Christ, and now we're moving into the superiority of the new covenant. Let's look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought For a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And if you want to study that out yourself, I would encourage you to write this scripture reference down. He's quoting the book of Jeremiah there. Jeremiah chapter 31. I think beginning in 31 through along 34 or so. Jeremiah 31. Just start 31, 31 and you'll see. All right? Uh, Behold, the days are coming, says, the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of who? All right, who's this book to? It's called Hebrews. It's pretty obvious who the book is to, right? This book is, is to the Jews, all right? But we, we find a lot of truth for our lives in here as well, all right? And, and we're about to see something, but we're, gonna, we're about to see a distinction, all right, uh, that is specific to the Jew and that's specific to the Gentile, all right? Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. In other words, they did not keep the law. They did not keep the law that I gave them. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now remember, we, we don't want to get confused here. That's not talking about you and I. That's talking about Israel. That is talking about Israel, not you and I. God did not write his law on your mind and he did not write his law on your heart. Alright, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you uh, from the scripture how that's true. I want you to go to Romans chapter 10. Remember, the, co- the first covenant was with Israel. That law of commandments that came down from God where he etched it upon the, uh, the, the tablets, that was not for you. That was not for me. That was only for nation, the, the nation of Israel. That's what defined them as a nation. All right? That's how God made a nation out of a people. All right? By laws. And those laws were such as do not kill do not kill. One of the things was do not kill or do not murder. But do you know that they killed a lot of Gentiles after that law came? Because that law wasn't about them not killing Gentiles. That was a law about them not killing each other. All right. Do not steal. And yet they went and borrowed the gold from the Egyptians. Remember that? May we borrow your gold and silver when they plundered Egypt? And not only did they, the scripture says all of them were healed. It's one it 's it's probably the greatest healing miracle in the Bible, and it 's often overlooked. Two and a half to three million Jews left out of Egypt that night, and the scripture says there was not one feeble among them. Think about this: four hundred years of oppressive slavery, the kind of a, a kind of diet where they just barely survived, and then that person is reproducing and making another person right so they 're getting They're they're really having a hard time, all right? This is not a strong people. This is an oppressed people. This is a beat down people. And in one night, God healed all of them and brought them out. And not only did he heal them, but he caused them to go knock on the doors of all those families who had lost their firstborn. They're all weeping and wailing. And then they have the audacity to come to their house and say, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but can I have all your gold and jewels and all your fine linens and they just handed it over to them. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that along with their deliverance was health and wealth? Why is this such a problem? Why do people not accept this today? That in their deliverance there was health and there was wealth. You know that in your deliverance there is health and there is wealth? All right. Because if there's not, then that old way was better. But we have a better covenant Amen. established on better promises. Yeah. All right. So that law was for the Jews. So now God says, okay, it's not going to be about me writing down something on, 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 on tablets for them to look on. Because Paul later described what that was in 2 Corinthians 3, that the law that was written and engraved on stones was the ministry of condemnation. It was the ministry of death. All right. And in Colossians, he says that this law, Jesus took it out of the way. And he says that this law was contrary to us. He says that this law was against us. It was contrary to us, and it was against us. Think about that for a moment. So it had nothing, it wasn't for us. As I've said before, our our victory in Jesus is not that we are no longer under the law. (laughs) We were never under the law. Our victory is that he looked on us and said, I'll save them too. That's, that's our blessing. All right, because we weren't even in this deal. But we got in this deal by faith. We just acted like Abraham, <laughs> who believed God. So the law was written on their heart. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, uh, the apostle Paul says, uh, but what does it say? The word is near you. What's near you? In your mouth. And in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. See, the law is written on the heart and mind of the Jew, but the word of faith is written on your heart. Woo! The word of faith is written on your heart. Then he goes on to say that that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right, yeah. Jeremiah talks about this a lot, especially during communion, about confession and believing. What are we confessing and what are we believing? All right? Just as you receive Christ through believing and confessing, every deliverance in your life comes that way. Yeah. Through that confession of faith and believing. All right? That spirit of faith, as Second Corinthians 4 says, "We believe and therefore speak." All right) yeah. If you confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation or unto deliverance. What's verse eleven say? For with, uh, for, yeah, for the scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. I love that verse of scripture. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What that means is your faith will not fail you. Your faith in God will never fail you. He'll never embarrass you. You can put your faith in people and they'll shame you. I mean, they'll just embarrass you. They'll disappoint you. But this says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Amen. Let's go to verse 12. Let's just uh, go through this for a moment. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without Jeremiah? Yeah. Uh, right. Or Ivan? Yeah. Or Cindy? Right. Or Larry? Or Larry? for Pete's sake. How can they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I want to say this again. They preach the gospel of what? and They bring what kind of tidings? Of what things? They preach the gospel of... They bring what tidings? Of... Peace, glad, good. Peace, glad, good. Peace, glad, good. All you ever do over there is preach feel-good messages. All you ever do is preach good news. Oh, it's all good, good. God is good. Peace, glad, good. What, am I, what else am I supposed to preach? Peace, glad, good. The gospel of peace, glad tidings, good things. Huh? That's what the Bible told me to preach. Yeah. That legalistic preacher doesn't like that, though. He just hates that. That religious preacher, he hates that because he can't control the people then. He can't control it. He can't manipulate them. Right? So he can have a big altar call so he can feel good. We had a full altar today. Yeah, how long did it take you to get him down there? How long did you beat him over the head? Okay, all right. Whole altars, no change. All right, I'm not saying that nobody ever changes. Understand what I'm saying? All right, I'm just saying that religious just loophole over and over and over again. Been to that church? Don't want to go back. I believe the gospel of peace. I want to hear glad tidings of good things, huh? And then this. Then the scripture says. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed, our report. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have in you the word of faith. You have in you, written on your heart, the word of faith. It's in you and it's in your mouth. And you know what? You get more and more of it by hearing it. It's important. It's not about just hearing anything it's about hearing specifically the word of God preached yeah. that's what this whole thing is about the word of God that is preached the word of faith that is preached all right word of faith isn't some I mean it's been minimized to a certain group of people on the earth that's the word of faith people all right no if you're if you are a Christian you are a word of faith All right, this—that's what's in you, the word of faith. It's not about a movement or denomination. All right, this is scripture. None of them. uh, Let's go back to uh, Hebrews. We're almost through. Hebrews chapter eight. Is this okay tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Hebrews eight and verse uh, eleven says, "I will write them." My laws on their minds, on their hearts. And verse 11 says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. This is beautiful. Now, let me say this in small measure, this has happened. But we're going to see it in greater measure when the Lord closes this age of grace and goes into dealing with Jerusalem, with dealing with the Jews again, he has work yet to finish. He has something to complete with them yet, and we we uh, don't really know what all that is because we're not supposed to, because we're Gentiles. All right, yeah, I'm, I know Gentile. It's funny because Gentiles are trying to be experts about the Book of Revelation, Jesus, but they're making money writing books setting dates, and every one of them's wrong. They've been wrong, 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 and then they, and they'll come out with a new date and freak people out again. am like, when are you people going to learn? These guys are idiots. They just want your money. They just want your money. They want to unsettle your souls. All right? All right. If Jesus doesn't know, you're not going to know. He doesn't know when he's coming. You really think God's going to say, well, I'll tell Jeremiah? He might. I don't know. Jeremiah's pretty special. The reason Jesus doesn't know, because Jesus would tell us. Because we're in covenant with him. In covenant, you don't keep secrets. He would just blab it to us. So God's kept it from his son, so nobody knows. It's the father's secret. (laughs) Amen. No, but God has business to do. Do you remember when the disciples asked Jesus in in the book of Acts chapter 1? Right before his ascension, he'd been with them about 40 days, and apparently he'd been teaching them on the kingdom of God and God, God restoring the kingdom to Israel. And they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right? So Jesus said, that's not, it, that t- it, that's not for you to know. You're, in, you're living in a day right now. You need to live in the moment right now. That time's coming, but that's up to the Father. But right now, my family, we are in this age of grace. This is the age of the church. And this is specifically the age of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. People like you and I. All right? There are some Jews, there are a few Jews that do, that are, that believe Jesus is the Messiah. But the percentage of the believers compared to the non-believers is astronomical. I mean, it's small, small, small. All right? But God's not through. There's going to be a time when Israel comes into the kingdom in droves. Amen. Because God is faithful to his people. He's faithful to his word. So right now it's our time. All right? And that's why we, we need to preach this gospel of grace because we're touching Listen to, this gospel of grace is relevant to something like 99.8% of the world. The Jews make up like 0.2% of the world population. All right? Think about it. When God called, told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that really wasn't all that big of a task. To them, they were thinking that all they knew was that Jewish world. Peter had to have a revelation in Acts chapter 10 that God opened up the gospel to everybody. Right? right. Oh, well, yeah, we got this whooped. All right, we can, we can preach to all the Jews, and, um, and we're good. Still, I mean, three, Peter, James, and John, Paul said, they're all apostles to the Jews. God sent me as the apostle to the circumcised. Paul's the guy with the tall order. He's got 99 point whatever percent of the world. These three guys get 0.2%. Interesting. We'll talk about that a little later. Let's, verse, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. Shout a new covenant. And Now, that was not a shout. I'm, am I in a shouting church? I mean, your preacher's last name is Holler. Huh? Let's shout a new covenant. Yeah. And he has made the first obsolete. Obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old. And growing old is ready to vanish away. And man, oh man, when we get into chapter 9, can we, can we do a sneak preview? It's only 8.05. Some of you were just getting ready to go out at this time. You know, back in the day, right? 8 o'clock was the beginning Right, you were putting stuff on and tucking stuff in and spraying stuff down, and you were getting ready. The party was just getting started. All right, now you've been in church for all these years, and you're like eight o'clock. Oh, god, come on, Pastor Eric, finish this thing up. I know I'm preaching good now, I know I'm preaching good now. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9 and maybe you became a Christian because you just couldn't tuck the stuff in anymore you're like well I, I'm not, not doing that I'm, I'll just go and get saved alright Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1 then indeed Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of covenant. Remember I told you the three ways to remember what was in the ark? Just use the B words, right? The Bible, the law of the Bible, the bud, the the rod that budded, and the bread, the manna. The Bible, the bud, and the bread, all right? And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail. And I'm going to stop right there because uh, chapter, uh, verse 6 launches us into something extraordinary that we're going to have to give attention to and take our time to walk through. It takes us into, into chapter 10. These two chapters right here are amazing, amazing revelation. All right? So don't miss next Wednesday night. I'm telling you, this is about to get gooder. And uh, actually, I should say better, because this is the book of better. All right, it's going to get better and better. Listen, Sunday, uh, Sunday evening, we have Pastor Charles Neiman uh, coming here. How many of you have heard Pastor Charles Neiman speak? Yeah. Oh my goodness, I think he's one of the greatest Bible teachers of our time. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary revelation, and uh, um, just a, a great friend of our minister. We've been going to their conference. He pastors Abundant Living Faith Center in El Paso, Texas. Has been there. Many many years, and uh, we go to his conference every year, and uh, are, it's inspiring to see the work that they've done in El Paso, Texas. To see the their church, they've they've got somewhere around, what? Well, it's a small church. It's like twenty thousand members um, today to date. And uh, anyway, I just really appreciate him coming uh, here and pouring into us. He's very he's a very busy man. He travels all over the world, but he loves me and Heather. And he loves our church, and and, uh, also he's going to speak at Christ for the Nations uh, the next day. They have him scheduled, so we're very excited about that. So be here. Now listen to me. Do not let the Cowboys keep you from coming to church. I know. And I'm sorry. Let me just say I'm sorry. I did not mean to schedule it on night one. Pastor Charles called me today very concerned about that. He said, Should we reschedule this? I hesitated for just a moment. I'm just kidding. I I said, no, we're already booked. No, come. He said, well, I just didn't want to, you know, take away from, I know people love the football and stuff. I said, just kidding. I said, our church isn't like other churches. They'll all be here. Why are you laughing? You're supposed to say amen. amen. Now you made me nervous. You can wear your jersey. Hey, how many of you have DVR? How many of you have DVR? How many of you have a friend? You know somebody that has DVR. Okay, you're fine. All right? Amen. Just, yeah, just don't look at your phone during service like you usually do. All right? Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Come on, let's lift our hands. Let's bless the Lord. Just lift, just lift up your hands and offer up that sacrifice of praise. The fruit of your lips giving thanks into his name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you called us out of darkness. You called us into your marvelous light. Thank you, Lord. As David said, you lifted us up out of the pit. Hallelujah. Lord, you've made our footsteps firm. You brought us into uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Thank you, Lord, that you who spared not your own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall you not also with him freely give us all things? Thank you that we are living in this great day of grace. Lord, grace Grace that we did not deserve. Grace that, that, that God, you just chose to be good to us. You just chose to accept us. You chose to love us. You chose, God, to make us alive who were dead in our sins. You chose to forget our sins and remember them no more. You just chose to do it. Why? Because you love us. Because great is your mercy. Great is your love. As we looked at Sunday morning, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. For His mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, our high priest, the great high priest, is seated next to our Father, and he's making intercession for us. Not only did he die for us and and cleanse us from all of our sins, but he's praying for us right now. Jesus, we bless you. We thank you for saving us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for for being there, mediating on our behalf. Your blood speaking better things for us than even that of Abel. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you bear the marks on your by the marks of the covenant. Thank you that you bear marks. You bear scars on your back that, that, that paid for our healing. Your hands and feet were pierced. Your side was pierced and blood flowed for our Father God. Thank you for our sins. They're washed away. You have scars on your forehead when they beat that crown of thorns down upon your head. That which came out of a cursed ground where man had to sweat To make a living. You bled there so that we, through your poverty, might become rich. Thank you for that. Thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Tonight, even as we're standing here on planet earth, yet in the heavenlies we are seated with you. Help us to be aware of that. And to live our lives from that heavenly seated position. To not be too quick to react. To not get caught up in the circumstances. To not judge you according to circumstantial evidence. But Lord, by faith, God, we trust you. We believe you. So that we see beyond this temporary trouble that we're facing right now. This temporary darkness that we may be in right now. This temporary giant or mountain that we might be facing right now. We thank you, Lord, that you're able to make a mountain into a plain, hallelujah. You're able, God, to, 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 to move heaven and earth if you have to, just for us. And Lord, we're thankful tonight that Jesus, at his very announcement, the very announcement of his birth, was peace on earth, good will toward men. Thank you for that. We bless you. Thank you that you called us into your church to be individual members of the body of Christ. That where we go, Lord, we are lights. And Father God, may we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.